Hello everybody and welcome to my podcast. I have a lot to talk about today so let's just go ahead and get right into it. Um, The first thing that I want to talk about, well I have two sections that I want to talk about. I have a book review today, um, partial book review one could say, and then I also have some further thoughts and implications for my own life. So the first thing I want to jump into is doing this book review. This book is called Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert. I've heard people mention this one before, and they said that it was a really good book. They also mentioned that it's a great book for singles. If you're like a single woman trying to find your way, whatever, whatever, this is a good book for you. So I went ahead and picked it up from my library, and I thought, okay, let me read this and see what this is about. Um, So let me just give you kind of a breakdown of how this book is structured so I can explain why I haven't read the full book but I'm able to give a synopsis still. So the book is broken down into three different sections right so there's this woman this is her her memoir Elizabeth Gilbert's memoir and it's broken down into three sections it's broken down into her trip to Italy her trip to India and her trip to Indonesia and in each section of the book each of these parts part one part two part three she talks about different things in her like season of singleness but she also talks about different things that she did for her job different things that she's done as she's traveled and learning different languages etc in the Italy section of the book that's the first part Um, She talks a lot about eating and what she's done to learn the language and just simply kind of enjoying herself and enjoying um, what she wanted to do. She she basically just kind of self-indulged and did what she wanted to do. In the praying section of the book, that's the part where she's in India and she's learning um, how to be devoted. She wants to pursue a, uh, a relationship or pursue god in some way i don't really know it's unclear and i do have um some things to say about that like concept i haven't read that section of the book but i did read in part of the introduction about that concept and so i want to talk about that and then love which is the part that's in indonesia and i assume is the part where she talks about her falling in love with her now husband um this woman is a woman who went through a very messy divorce she tried to get divorced from her husband but then he just wouldn't like let go and so it took them about uh, i would say over a year to actually get divorce finalized um, because he just would not sign the paperwork he was not very cooperative in trying to get the divorce and so um yeah and she wanted to get a divorce because she just realized like that she they weren't compatible to whatever degree and so it was enough for them to want for her to want to get a divorce and I think he saw similarly but he just didn't want to let it go and then in the meanwhile while she's trying to get a divorce she's also having an ongoing relationship with a person named David and so there's all this messiness going on in there she ends up leaving going to Italy she becomes celibate and she decides she just wants to learn the Italian language any Italian food and that's what she's focusing on um as a writer they knew that her book was going to whoever is her publisher or whatever they like paid for her to spend 
um, a year traveling because they knew that whatever book that she would write as a result of it, they wanted to invest in that book. And so they invested, basically paid up front for her book. And so whatever cost she had, it was all paid by um, the people so that she could, you know, travel to these different places. And then they basically bought her book before she even wrote it. Um, and so that's what paid for all of her experiences to this, these different places. She spent four months in each place. So she spent four months in Italy, India, and Indonesia, which is cool that they all start with, you know, eyes. Um, and she mentions that in the book. She mentions a lot of kind of like ways that she's structured in this book too, um, to be even more like explicit and specific. So let me give you an overall rating so far. This is just a rating on the first part of the book, but I don't know if I'm going to continue reading the book. And let me say this. I don't, well, I'll get to that later. Let me start with what else I was going to say. So for this first part of the book, what I've read so far, the introduction and the Italy chapter one, and, and mind you, it's not like these parts are small. Like, I'm about a third of the way through the book and the book is a hefty book like I am on page so when I finished reading I finished reading on page 128 so 128 worth of pages is about a small book like that's the size of a regular small book so this is a pretty big book but um I feel like I have enough basis to understand like do I actually like this book do I not and so as I was reading through it there were some things that I was like, mm, but I just kept reading because I, I didn't want to prematurely judge the book. So my overall rating of the book is a 3.5 out of 5. Here's the reason why. Mainly because I don't agree with a lot of what's mentioned. And like sometimes it's tiring to read certain things because you have to discern in the moment. Do I agree with this? Do I not? Do I align with this? Do I not? And then you have to kind of judge and test things to make sure that you are not intaking stuff and intaking ideas, emotions, and thoughts and ideals that you don't actually align with. And so a lot of me reading this was like, okay, is this aligned with what I think or is this against what I believe and what I value? Um, and so that was something that I was like, okay, I'm not the biggest fan of, especially when it came to the part about her religion and her philosophy regarding God. There was a lot there that I was like, I'm not a particular fan of this. This is not what I believe. But throughout reading, I had to test and say, okay, is, does this align with what I agree with? Does this not align with what I agree with? Right. So for example, she was talking about, um, how God the description of God as him and the description of God as her is both inadequate and adequate in describing God. So basically meaning, and I sort of align with this, I, I think this is something that I do agree with, is that basically meaning trying to describe God is impossible. We can't describe him. And so in our limited human thinking, we try to describe him as best as we can. And so calling God a him is the best that we can to understand God as this being, but God is actually not a him. And God is also not her. Like God is not either of those, right? But he's God, but we call him God. And even now I'm saying him and he and da, 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 those pronouns, we call him that 
because that's the best way that we can describe him, right? And so I agree with that because I think that calling God a him, sorry, my alarm rang and <laughs> it cut out, but I think that calling God a him, calling God a her are both inadequate. Like they're both not able to actually describe who God is, but they also are adequate enough for us to use in order to try to describe God. Um, because I mean, like, you would never sit here and say, oh, God is a male. Yeah, God is a female. He's not, because God is not human. So, and, and he's not the creation. So therefore he is not male and female. He is not woman or man. And especially songs like Ariana Grande's God is a woman. He's not, because if you are able to describe God and compare him to a woman, that means that you're saying that he's comparable to a human being and he's not. And so in my mind, nothing is able to actually describe him fully and to fully encompass who he is and his character and his being. And so when she said that in the book, I was like, I align with that. But then there's also other things that she was talking about, such as like tapping into the something something and some people are able to tap into the divine i'm like okay and if you read it you'll see what i'm talking about i'm not even gonna go too much into it because my brain literally just processed that and said that's not what i'm um intaking so it literally processed that out of my mind um but it would be stuff like that that i'm like okay girl i don't know i'm good but anywho um another overall point that i'd like to make um, and a reason why I gave it a 3.5 is because there's so many key points in here that I love, which I'm going to talk about later, but there's so many key points. And overall, it's actually entertaining to read. Um, like, I enjoy reading. It's, like, very well written. The way that it takes you through the stories, the ebbs and the flows, brings back certain things, is really interesting. Um, but once again, the, I still have to, as I'm reading, confront ideas that I don't align with and da-da-da-da-da um i do like the way that she organized the book into the three chunks into the eat the pray the love chunks i liked that i think that's a great way of organizing a bigger book especially if you're organizing a memoir to center it around those different places um and that way you're able to write about it so i think that was cool and also that made me think about my own writing because i'm currently working on some short stories that i really want to write and I have the ideas for, I don't know if I'm necessarily going to commit to writing them yet, but I was thinking about these and I was like, I'm actually, for me, I'm centering my stories around objects. So she centered her memoir around the places she's been, but I was thinking of centering mine around objects. And so I have different ideas for that. Um, and I'm excited to flesh those out. So stay tuned. Um, also, I think for further ratings and breakdowns of the books, I would give the structure and the organization a five out of five. As far as the plot structure and like engaging with the book, how do you, I feel if I'm like engaged in the book? Definitely a five out of five. It's done well even for a memoir. Like a lot of times memoirs tend to be a little bit boring, but like her memoir is really interesting. Like genuinely, I, I'm like reading through the page. I'm like, this is good. This is really interesting. So I loved that um will I continue reading to the next two sections I actually don't know part of me wants to read just for the sake of finishing the book because one thing about me I like to finish books and I don't like to just read and not finish it and this was my dilemma throughout reading this entire book 
my dilemma while reading this entire book was like, okay, do I keep reading or do I stop? Do I keep reading? Or do I stop? Do I keep reading? Or do I stop? Because I am not actually like I like the book, but I'm not actually. I don't. I don't know. See, that's the thing. I don't know if I'm actually into this book or not. And so maybe I'll keep reading just to say a conclusive whole ending and be like, all right, cool. But like throughout the entire reading of the Italy part, I'm like, all right, do I need to stop reading? Do I keep reading? Do I need to? Because this is the thing. While I do like the book, it's very, it's giving very much white girl dumping all her problems on you. <laughs> and I get it's her memoir. Like that's the place to talk about everything that you've been through in life. But for some reason, while I'm reading this, it's just like, it's giving very much back in the days when I was living with a roommate and at any moment in time, they would just break down and come tell me all their problems and I had to sit there through it. I didn't have to, chose to sit there through it and listen. And that's how this feels. Like while I, there's so many key points that she makes, it just feels like, I don't know, it feels very self-centered but of course it is because it's supposed to be like that the, the genre that i'm in right now the genre that i'm in is a memoir but i think the reason why it feels self-centered is because of her actual actions so it's not the fact that the book is centered around her life but it's the fact that she, the what she's doing is feeling very self-centered so for example her leaving and going to italy and her basically while she's in italy doing whatever the heck she wants no obligations no nothing no responsibilities she was in one of these classes but then she left the class because she felt like she couldn't wander around italy and do what she wanted to do and so she ended up dropping out of the class because she felt like it really wasn't that's how i picture her voice being her voice could literally not even be like that but that's what i picture and she's like oh i just left the class because i just felt like I was spending so much time inside of a classroom when I could be wandering the streets of Italy. Literally, that's one of the lines she said. And it's just like, I don't have any animosity toward people like that, but it does make me be like, okay, I'm not really fully there with you because sometimes I just feel like you have to learn how to commit to things, you know? And um, I don't know. It just, if you read it, you can assess for yourself whether or not you feel like some of the things were selfish, but I feel like with the complete indulgence in Italy and with just this constant, it feels almost egocentric. Like it feels very much like she's the only person in the room. She's the main character. She's the only person in the room. Whereas in a lot of other memoirs, I haven't read too many memoirs, but I have read a couple. And I feel like in other memoirs, specifically writings, biographies memoirs whatever about black people it tends to not just be solely about that person but like the people that made that person right so like when i was reading michelle obama's book it wasn't just about her and how she going and finding herself and finding her journey and da, da, da. like she was but she also incorporated so many other, i don't know maybe i just have personal beef with the book and maybe that's a sign that i shouldn't finish it but regardless it's been interesting so far. So let me go through some of the key highlights that I actually like of the book. The first thing that I like was on page 54 when she says, talks about the many layers that we operate in as human beings. And so one of the things she said 
was boop, 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 boop. I took on my depression like it was a fight, like it was the fight of my life, which of course it was. I became a student of my own depressed experiences, blah, 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 blah. She says, what was the root of all this despair? Was it psychological? Was it just temporal, like temporary? Um, was it genetic? Was it cultural? And then she goes through, she keeps asking all these other questions. And so some other things that she mentioned was, um, was it, where is it? Was it evolutionary? Was it karmic? Was it hormonal, dietary, philosophical, seasonal, environmental? Um, was it a chemical imbalance? Was it being tired? Like, I didn't realize really how many factors influence our day-to-day -day. cultural factors. We have environmental factors chemical imbalances, hormonal factors, the like seasonal factors of like different seasons that you're in, both like um, abstractly, like your season, I'm in this season of life, but then also like the actual literal seasons, like fall, spring, summer, winter. And then she says, what a large number of factors constitute a single human being, how very many layers we operate in, and how very many influences we receive from our minds, our bodies, our histories, our families, our circles, our cities, our souls, and our lunches. And I just thought that was very well written because that's so true. Like, you do really have a lot of factors that influence your day-to-day -day. and then also influence deeper things like depression. Um, on page 60, she asked a really good question that I would like to consider. She said that she, or she didn't ask the question, but she said that at one point in time she walked past the mirror and she looked in the mirror and was like oh hey i know her and was looking at herself and she realized in that moment that she recognized herself as a friend and for some it, it felt a little bit weird to me the way that she described it too i was like girl are you crazy but um also that concept of like recognizing yourself as a friend I thought was interesting because I think sometimes I don't recognize myself as a friend and so the way that I think about myself or the way that I talk about myself is not how I would actually think or talk about one of my friends um and also like sometimes when you feel those moments of loneliness like do you actually recognize yourself as a friend like do you recognize yourself as somebody that you can spend time with and not feel like you have to be around a whole bunch of other people so I thought that that was interesting and I liked that even though it wasn't a question that she asked, it arose in a question of me of do I recognize myself as a friend? And I would say, yeah, for the most part, I recognize myself as a friend. So I, I would like to improve in that, but I do recognize myself as a friend. All right, another point that she mentions on page 67, and this is the page that I really, really liked. She talked about how entertainment isn't the same thing as enjoyment. And I said, period. Literally, she talked about the differences between Italy and America. And how in America we typically seek entertainment, but how in Italy it's a lot of a slower pace and it's seeking enjoyment. So what they're eating and what they're um, like, how they're hanging out with one another, etc., is seeking enjoyment, is seeking to enjoy the time that you spend together. Whereas in America we typically seek entertainment. We're getting the latest technology so that we can constantly be entertained, but that doesn't always mean that we're enjoying it. And I think that that is so true and it made me think about myself too and be like a lot of times I'm seeking entertainment like I'm seeking to be entertained to be thrilled to be humored but it doesn't always necessarily mean that I'm enjoying what I'm doing or what I'm watching right and um 
yeah, that was an interesting point. Page 68 also brings in some interesting points about Italy and how they have different, um, like, quotes. So one, or like different, what's it called? I don't even know. Like a, a phrasing, I guess. But one of the phrasings in Italian is il bel fa niente. I hope I pronounced that right. Il bel fa niente. And that is means, that means the beauty of doing nothing. And the beauty of doing nothing is what she said in a general sense, Italians like that's their goal is to work hard so they don't have to do anything so the beauty of doing nothing is the goal of all of their work um the final accomplishment for which they are the most highly congratulated and i thought that was an interesting point point. and while i did i have a diff i have difficulty like generalizing that uh, that italians do this that all italians do this right like it could be a common theme i don't know but i won't know until i actually like see for myself and so i have a hard time actually saying that all people think like that because they might not and then there's another italian expression l'arte di arrangiarsi l'arte di di arrangiarsi the art of making something out of nothing and those two quotes the beauty of doing nothing and the art of making something out of nothing, I feel like embody what I want to do and what I love to do and what I am doing, which is practicing resting, practicing being still, practicing like just being, not having to do anything. And I practiced this a lot in 2020 when I first like was revealed this idea, but I feel like that's something I have to continue to practice because I'm not choosing to practice that. But um, I love that concept too of the art of making something out of nothing like i love doing that i love just taking what's already there and using that and incorporating that into something new um oh that's another thing that i had to say here too while this book does have some key points that i like it gets me in a question about the border between selfish singleness and like selflessness in your singleness and so this is a concept that i've been thinking about recently because every time i ask people what should you do in your season of singleness or every time i hear like people talking about what you should do when you're single a lot of people mention take this time to enjoy what you want to do take this time to do what you want to do even some people have said take this time to be selfish and in my mind i'm thinking okay it's twofold right Selfish as in, like, thinking about what you need to do, what you need to do to take care of yourself. But but part of me wonders, is selfish the actual terminology we should use for this season of singleness, right? Like, I think the concept in singleness of exploring yourself, learning how to manage you, um, learning about yourself and the world around you, taking care of yourself, learning your place. I think those are vital in that season of singleness to do. Like, those are the things we need to be doing. But what I don't like is constantly seeking your own pleasure, the idea of only focusing on you and having no other obligations. And that's what this book portrays a lot, is like, 
she's only focused on her. She ain't got no other obligations. She's only seeking her pleasure constantly. And I feel like that's fine. That's fine for her if that's what worked for her. But for me, that doesn't really work for me. I have a very collectivistic mindset. I don't have a very individualistic mindset. So I'm not just going to up and leave to Italy and seek my own pleasure every day. For me, that feels like I, I would feel guilty doing that all the time. I would feel like not great. And so finding that kind of balance between like not being selfish in your sing- singleness, but also like learning how to take care of yourself and learning how to like be present for yourself, I would say is more than being selfish, right? I would want you to be present for yourself. What does your present self need emotionally, physically, mentally, et cetera, et cetera? Like, what does your present self need? What does your present self want? Not necessarily being selfish, though, because you still should act in selflessness toward other people. I think of Jesus as the perfect example. Jesus was single his entire life. And not at any point did he actually be selfish, right? Like, there were times where he took time for himself. He was present for himself but he wasn't actually selfish. And so I feel like that phrase of like, oh, be selfish in this time, do what you want to do. It's like, well, if if I am living in Christian singleness, if I'm living in singleness and and following my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I shouldn't just always do what I want to do because then that will lead me to despair. That will lead me to um, just not following what God wants me to do, right? So I think there's a balance. I think to strike that balance, like following what God wants you to do, but not being like a monk where you're like, oh my God, I gotta seek God. I gotta, like, stop being so so hyper-spiritual, but also recognize that worldly pleasures aren't gonna fulfill you, right? So, like, finding the balance in between those two. And Jesus did a perfect example of that, you know? Or he would enjoy things. Like, some people would be like, oh, I can't, da-da-da-da-da. Jesus literally turned water into wine because he wanted to have a good time, period. Like, come on now. He isn't sitting there thinking, oh, I don't want people to get drunk, so I'm not going to turn this water into, like, Jesus enjoyed what he did while he was on earth. He enjoyed it. He he fulfilled the mission, and he enjoyed the time that he had on earth. But that doesn't mean that he sought the worldly pleasures in order to fulfill him, right? And so I think it's about finding that balance and not being selfish, being present with yourself. I really like that phrase of being present with yourself. I think that's what it looks like to be in your season of singleness because when you get kids and when you get a husband, you have to be present for them, really. Like, you also need to take care of yourself, but you have to be present for them. You have to be present for the minds that you're molding. You have to be present for, you know, your relationship with your husband and, and learning how to work through that. But when you're by yourself and you ain't got nobody and you ain't got no no uh people to take care of and look after like that, you're able to be present with yourself. And you're able to be like, yo, what do I want to do? What do I want to eat today, right? And not in a selfish way, but in a way of just simply taking care of yourself and learning to manage you. And so I think that's why I had a little bit of um, contention against this book. Not because she's doing anything wrong. That's That's what works for her. That's great. But for me, just doing what I want to do all the time makes me miserable. I like to help other people. I like to do what other people need. And I like to follow God. I like to do what he wants me to do. And so while I still do things I enjoy, like literally, I just went to go get my nails done the other day because I wanted to get my nails done. I went to go get a massage because I wanted to go get a massage. Like those are things I do because I just want to do them, right? But it's not stepping out of the will of God, right? And so I'm just... As long as I'm in that will of God and I'm, I'm 
doing these things, but it's not exasperating myself or going outside of those lines of the will of God, I feel like I'm Gucci. You know what I mean? All right, let's move on. Next page, page 71. This one had a quote that I really loved. She said, oh, oh, oh. Now, this is when she was talking to herself and she was talking about how she didn't want to be lonely, but then she also wanted to be lonely. And then she told, she, this is when she, when we see some character development, right? So at first she was very lonely. She wanted to be with other people. But then she said, now when she gets lonely these days, I think, so be lonely, ways. Learn your way around loneliness. Make a map of it. Sit with it for once in your life. Welcome to the human experience, but never again use another person's body or emotions as a scratching post for your own unfulfilled yearnings. Boy, oh boy, is there much to unpack in that. First of all, I like the phrase, so just be lonely. Like, I think sometimes we miss the art of simply being. And I, I miss the art of simply being. Like, there are moments where you could just simply be in whatever you're in. Just be that. And so if you're in that moment of feeling lonely, just simply simply be lonely, right? Be lonely. And I like that phrase of just, so be lonely. Like, oh my gosh, okay, you always talk about how you alone and how you ain't got nobody, da, da, da. just be lonely. Like, I feel like that's how I would have told myself. And um, I like the way that she said, learn your way around loneliness. Just because you're lonely doesn't mean you have to feel sad, right? You can feel that loneliness and feel where that void is and still not feel sad about that. Learn your way around it. Learn how, learn where can I go to fulfill this loneliness? Oh, I can go to God. What can I do in, when I start feeling lonely? Oh, I can go pray. I can go read my Bible. What can I do when I start feeling like I want to be with somebody? I can go do the things that I want to do with whoever I want to do it with. You know what I mean? Like those are like, learn your way around that. And then I also liked um, that phrase, welcome to the human experience. <laughs> And that's a phrase I've been using a lot recently with myself is like anytime I start feeling like beating myself up about certain stuff, I'll be like, Hannah, welcome to the human experience. Like we all feel this. We all feel lonely. We all feel like we want somebody. We all feel like we want to practice being single, but then it's also hard. It's like we all feel those feelings. So why am I beating myself up in an alleyway, dragging myself up the corridor with no camera in sight? And everybody feels this way. So I really like that phrase, welcome to the human experience. And then I also like the phrase, never again use another person's body or emotions as a scratching post for your own unfulfilled journey. And I feel like the younger Hannah needed to know that. The younger Hannah needed to know that. Because a lot of times, because I had these unfulfilled desires, I would use other people to try to fulfill those desires, to try to ease that itch. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It never works if you try to use somebody else to fulfill the desires that you have. The only person who can fulfill the desires that you have is Jesus. And that's it. That's it. And um, so I like that. Um, I also, let's see. I liked page 72 because the first two paragraphs I felt like described me to some degree. So in these first two paragraphs, she talks about how she's, for like a, a majority of her life, she's always been intertwined with some kind of drama, with some kind of guy, each overlapping the next. Um, she talked about how she had boundary issues um, and how, okay, so this is what she said. This is the part that I really like. She said, but I disappear into the person I love. 
I am the permeable membrane. If I love you, you can have everything. You can have my time, my devotion, my money, my family, my dog, my dog's money, my dog's time, everything. If I love you, I will carry for you all your pain. I will assume all your debts, et cetera, et cetera. She goes on to say, I will give you all this and more until I get so exhausted and depleted that the only way I can recover my energy is by becoming infatuated with somebody else. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like that right there, that's good. So this is why I like this book because of these moments where I'm like, yo, that's snacks, that's snacks. Um, but seriously, the fact of the permeable membrane where anything can come in and anything can come out. Like if you think about a cell biologically, there are some cells that have permeable membranes. And so anything is able to come out of the cell and anything is able to come in the cell when you don't have that boundary set and I like that she mentioned that like analogy to the permeable membrane I feel like that's very descriptive and I feel like I would describe like me previously as that and still to some degree um like I feel like now I have a semi-permeable membrane it's not fully permeable semi-permeable but still um and I liked when she said that she gets so depleted that in order to get new energy she becomes infatuated with somebody else. I was like, that right there, I never thought of before, but I feel like that describes, like, that describes it. When you are so into somebody, you're so like, oh my gosh, I love this person, I want to be with this person, and you start giving everything, 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 everything. Then you get so depleted, and then you're like, all right, how do I get more energy? Okay, I become infatuated with somebody else. And it's this never-ending cycle. Until you learn how to become mature, and set up those boundaries for yourself so that your heart is no longer that permeable membrane. I just, oof, that was too good. That was one of my favorite parts of the book because I like that. Um, then page 80 to 81 shared some cool places, it seemed like cool places in Rome. So she talks about um, the Piazza del Popolo, which is like this art. And then right across from the ark is a clap, is a um, church where you can see two free painting or you can see two paintings by Caraggio for free. Um, and it just seemed like a cool place. She also talks about the um, Tiber Island or Tiber Island. I don't know. Um, and it seems really dope. So she was talking about those places. And I thought, cool. Seems cool. I want to travel to Rome one day. Seems dope. Um page 83 she talks about not getting attached to obsolete ideas and i liked that phrase i i want to go back to that page because i want to remember why was i in the mindset to write that down as a note where is it oh okay here we go so basically she's talking about this um building called the augustium and um, basically in this plot of area in Augustium, it was so many different things. So at one point, I think it was a church. And then at another point, it was a garden. And then at another point, it was a vineyard. And then at another point, it was a boring. So this area was just always changing. Like, and it was just one little section. It wasn't like um, a, a whole city, but it's like, it just kept, it never kept its form. And I think it was built for one of the 
I want to say emperors or somebody who thought they was a big shot and thought their legacy was going to be remembered forever. It was built for him. And then it ended up being changed to all these different things. And so on page 83, she talks about um, the Augustian warns me not to get attached to any obsolete ideas about who I am, what I represent, whom I belong to, or what function I may have intended to serve. And I thought that was just so cool. Like, oh, it was a monument first, and then it became uh, all those different things. And I thought that was so true. Like, we should never get so attached to the ideas of, like, oh, I'm only this, I'm only that, I'm only here to serve this purpose. Like, God has given us so many different things and he wants to change things throughout our life that we are never just going to be that. Like I am a teacher right now, but I will not be a teacher in this type of capacity all my life. Like that's not the only thing he has for me, right? And so instead of getting stuck in those obsolete ideas about who I am or what I represent, like you are constantly changing. And just like your taste buds are constantly changing, you and your what you represent and what you are passionate about and what your core value well your core values I don't think change I just think you understand them more but like what you represent what you are passionate for like those are things that I think change as you get older as you mature as you as you change things that you represent and aspects of who you are will change you know what I mean like I would say like this when I was younger I thought I was the most outgoing person. I, I felt like I was the most outgoing person I knew. The only person I felt who talked to me in being extroverted was Fielder. That was it. But when I was in high school, like I genuinely was super outgoing, talking to everybody every day, all day, literally hanging out with people 24-7, da-da-da-da-da. Now, oh my geez, I could never imagine, actually, uh, wait, 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 am I still recording? Because my best friend tried to call me. Um, but I could never imagine actually doing that. Like, I can never imagine spending that much time with people and them not being close to me, like not being close friends. Like, ugh, it's just, I'm changing and things change. So not getting attached to those obsolete ideas of who we are. She also said that responsibility is the ability to respond. I said, ooh, 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 I like that. I'm going to use that. Um, and then I liked her when she said a phrase, taking your own journey until your life resembles you. I liked that and I think that's true like keep trying different things until your life resembles you until your life looks like you and I liked that a lot because I feel like that's what I'm doing right now like I'm trying a bunch of different things and trying out different hairstyles and different colors and different like fashion styles because I just want to see what actually looks like me you know what I mean what actually fits me um I also like when she talked about not counting things that don't exist yet. So she was literally over here not wanting to get a divorce with somebody who she genuinely was not compatible with because she was like, well, I don't want to, what's going to happen to the kids? She ain't even got kids yet. And she wondering what's going to happen to the kids if she get a divorce with this man. Her friend was like, girl, you don't even have kids. And this relationship is harming you. This, this relationship can't harm no kids because you don't got kids yet this relationship is harming you so think about you right now and I was like that's so true if it's not if you can't count for it because it's not there yet doesn't exist yet why are you even thinking about that you know what I mean like and that made me just think I was like I don't even know I don't even know but I was just like yo like that's it's just so true like don't don't count for it yet until you actually have that you know and so it also made me think of like as far as me like I'm always looking at people and I'm like oh like 
I want to be in a relationship with them, but ooh, I don't know if they'd be a good father for my kids. It's like, girl, you don't even got kids. You need to think about, are they going to be a compatible, suitable co- person for you? Like, as an individual first. Then you can look at, are they going to be a good father, da 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 when it actually comes time to have kids. But, like, don't, I mean, you want to consider that a little bit preliminary, but you never know. People change. Like, I remember the perfect example of people changing is this. I remember when the baby had a baby. <laughs> when the baby had a baby, I saw how much he actually really loves his daughter and how he really is giving everything for his daughter. And you wouldn't think that. Like, you wouldn't think you know, somebody who's a really big rapper, somebody who's just, like, he's just doing his own thing, like, he's actually, I feel like, from what I've seen, a a, a good father for her, and I remember somebody asking him in an interview that I saw one day, like, they were like, oh, uh, do you want your daughter to date someone who's like you? He said, no, 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 he immediately shut the down, he's like, no, I never want my daughter to date somebody like me, she need to marry a nerd or something like that, and I thought that was so funny, because he's able to, I feel like now him having a daughter has actually humbled him, and has made him be like, I want what's best for her, I don't want her to be with somebody like me, because I know me, and I know I'm not the best, and I don't want somebody for her like that, and I was just like, oh my gosh, and I feel like, I don't even remember somebody saying this, or my mom saying this, I don't remember who, but somebody said, like, um, when men have daughters, like, it really does cause them to, like, I don't know, it wouldn't become more humble, but it was like, it really does cause them to change when they have daughters, and so I just realized, like, no matter what, everybody's gonna change, when I have kids, I'm gonna change, me and my husband have kids, we're both gonna change, it's not like I need to be looking for it, Oh, is they are they gonna be a good husband right now? Because I don't have kids right now. I mean, so I don't need to know if they're gonna be a good father right now. I need to be knowing are they gonna be a good husband? You know what I mean? For focusing on that first relationship first, before we get to focusing on kids. Um then I realized that some of the things that she mentioned in the story are not plausible for me personally because she was a middle-aged 34 white woman. Um, I'm a 20-year-old black woman. So like, and also we just have different lives, but like there's a lot of things that are going to be different and I think especially for the fact of her talking about she wandering around Italy all she's just all by herself she's just walking around Italy you know and it's just like okay girl I don't know if I'd be able to do all of that you know what I mean uh maybe when I get older I can see if like you know things might change but as far as for me right now there's a lot of things that aren't possible in that way but I did take a lot of key points from here um I also like um page 16 where 116 where they were talking about how different places have like a word that just one word that describes them and her friend was asking her um what was the word that described her like what was that one word for her she couldn't think of one um for me my word is balance like that's the biggest word i've ever come across balance is my word and I think that describes just my entire life. It describes what I've learned a lot recently. It describes what I appreciate and what I favor. Um, just balance. That's my word. I like it. Um, I also like page 128 when she had the quote, um, appreciation of pleasure can be an anchor of one's humanity. And I want to change that. I don't want to say appreciation of pleasure. I want to say appreciation of what one has is the anchor of one's humanity. And that, I think, is gratitude. Gratitude is the anchor of our humanity. So when you are able to appreciate what you have or you're able to appreciate what you're able to do, that, I think, is the anchor of your humanity. I also liked page 128 when she says that you are given life 
and it is your duty to find something beautiful within it and I liked that of just like that kind of focus on gratitude of like focusing on what do you have what can you consider beautiful etc all right let's quickly go through the last part of this I don't think I'll be able to quickly go through this okay anywho I'll just do my best so these are my thoughts that's the end of my review on the book overall I think the book is solid has a lot of solid one-liners um has a very interesting storyline definitely for me at times feels a bit much but overall pretty good I think I'm gonna what I'm gonna do is take a break from this book and start reading another book and then if I feel like oh my gosh I really want to go back and read the rest of Eat Pray Love then I'll go and do that but I don't really feel drawn to it and here's why I don't feel drawn to it the prey part of this is talking about her journey of spirituality which I'm not particularly interested in because she doesn't really align with me in that way and so her views are very different from mine even though we have some similarities like she still believes in God but it's just it's a I don't know how to describe it but it's very much like she's with yogis and she's seeking spiritual um what's it called I don't even know what they're called but she's like doing I don't know it's just a bunch of different stuff that I don't personally dig into and so I'm good and then also the love section which is the part where she's in Indonesia I'm not particularly interested in that either because I feel like that's just playing out the love story between her and her husband her current husband and I'm also not interested in that either because that's not the season I'm in so I don't really care so I think for the most part I'm done with this book but it's pretty good um so that's my final review of the book and now on to my thoughts personally what I've been seeing um oh maybe I should do this on another one yeah I'm gonna do this on another one anywho that's it see ya